State of the division for the NL Central post-deadline. This is Ryan Ficklestein, managing editor at Just Baseball. Got Clay Snowden here, who wrote up our grades for this division that you know so well. Reds, big sellers. Brewers and Cardinals were supposed to be buyers, but the Cardinals were the only one that bought. And then the Pirates made some minor moves here, too. We'll start with the Brewers, though. They trade Josh Hader. We're giving him a C. Uh, I think that, you know, trading Josh Hader in a vacuum made sense. But you're in first place in the division. I think that's why we give them a C here. You get Taylor Rogers. They also got Matt Bush. They got Trevor Rosenthal. So they tried to kind of spackle together three relievers for what they're giving up and this guy. But it's just a weird set of moves here. Yeah, and we we were talking about this offline before we hit record. It all has to depend on your direction. In the direction after the deadline has it changed increased or decreased towards winning and depending on which team you know you want a different direction the brewers are in first place they are a small market team that needs to capitalize on this starting pitching still being under team control and says you know some of their current contracts that they're on so to me it was i get moving josh Hader long term and that makes sense but it's just going to be hard to convince a Brewers fan to say, hey, we let you know a top three closer out of the door during a season when we're trying to win a championship. So I know that they brought back some useful pieces and, you know, it could work. But why are we messing with success right now? Why is that the Brewers angle? It just seems risky to me, um, especially because Taylor Rogers has been good, but he hasn't been great. And Lamette, they brought him in and DFA'd him. I put him as addition and subtraction on the list. Um, so to me, it's just like the Brewers did something weird, but it's really what they didn't do that made me a little bit on edge about him. Yeah, I think that if I look at their deadline, I think I said this on the JB show today too, it, it comes down to Estuary Ruiz. Like now there's an absurd amount of pressure on this kid because if he ends up being a really positive contributor for them down the stretch in the outfield, that could be a genius trade. Like, like let's just say you get the, the Rogers of the first couple weeks of the season, Devin Williams is locking down games for you. And Estuary Ruiz suddenly solves that outfield problem you've had all season. Well, now you're like, all right, that kind of makes some sense. They were able to kind of fill multiple needs and they were able to get some value out of hater before it's too late. But Again, that's asking a ton out of Ruiz. It's not like he was hitting great at the big level for the Padres anyway. Great season in the minors, but wasn't always a top prospect you know, before this season. So that's just so much pressure to put on that one player. And without him having a breakout in the second half here, I think that we're going to look back on this trade. And if they either make the playoffs as a division winner or a wild card, they're just not the same team they would have been in the playoffs if they had Hater. At least that allowed you to shorten games and really just had this dynamic pitching, you know, from inning one through nine. Yeah, and to me, it's just, we saw what happened last year. The pitching carried them to the playoffs. The offense didn't get it done. Coming into this season, they had Andrew McCutcheon, an aging vet who's about a 100 WRC+, and Hunter Renfro, who's a good player, but they needed more. I felt like they needed a center fielder especially. Um, it just seemed like they really got scared, I feel like. And to me, it's how much would it have cost to go out and even get a Michael Taylor to play center? Somebody else instead of 
a breakout rookie in the minor leagues with three weeks of games under his belt. A, you know, I mean, Jonathan Davis is another option that they've been using in center field. He's terrible. And Tyrone Taylor, like, you cannot go into October with that as your center field. And even if, you know, you just find a defensive guy, they still needed another bat. Um, I don't know what happened in Milwaukee. Uh, it, it was kind of a disaster in my eyes. I like the move long-term. There's just a lot of long-term thought to this deadline, which is weird for a team that's in first place. And I said from the beginning, whoever wins the deadline between the Cardinals and the Brewers are going to win the NL Central. And you believe the Cardinals did win the deadline. You give them a B grade. Uh, you know, you look at what they did. They add a couple of starting pitchers to a rotation that's been hit really hard with injuries. So you get Jordan Montgomery and a nice swap for Harrison Bader, someone that, you know, obviously has had a lot of success or at least a decent amount of success in his early years in St. Louis, a really good defender, but a little bit of a log jam in the outfield. So you're not going to miss him too much. And you got Jose Quintana. So, so those are two really nice arms to slide into your rotation. Um, I, I agree with the B. I think they did a nice job. They didn't, make the big splash we thought they might by trading for Juan Soto, which would have made them, you know, the team of the deadline, but they're kind of trusting on their own talent to come through here. And they obviously have a lot of it. And you can see the difference between the Cardinals and the Brewers in this specific deadline. The Cardinals were smart and traded Harrison Bader, a guy who's up for free agency after next year, a guy who they have a pretty crowded outfield. Um, I think Jordan Walker could be moving to the outfield as well. Their price prospect. And they saw the writing on the wall and said, here's an opportunity to not give up any prospects at all. And a guy who's injured, not even playing for our team, and go out and get a starting pitcher that can help us today. And Jordan Montgomery's not the flashiest guy. But how many times do the Cardinals really have you know flashy pitchers? Just kind of how they work. These guys, I don't know what it is with the Cardinals. I always say the Rays get all of this credit, like the Rays way. Give me the Cardinals way. They actually have a ring. Um and Quintana, I think, you know, I think that we talked about Quintana so much on the on the podcast leading up to the deadline, like innings eater guy. I don't know what just how good he is, but he's going to get you to the playoffs. He's going to help your team along. Um, they they did give up and we'll talk about this more with when we covered the Pirates, but they did give up a, a little bit to get him. Yeah, yeah. And I think the, the bottom line with, with the Cardinals is. I look at them and I look at that rotation. I think in the playoffs, how are they going to win a series? Yet we've seen a Cardinals team. I think it was a 2006 in particular that mm-hmm. like, wasn't this great team and they, they got hot at the right time. So I think that's what they're relying on. They're like, let's just get into the dance and see what happens. And when you still have that star talent of Arenado and Goldschmidt, they could surprise us when we actually do get to October. Let's first talk about your reds before we get into the Cubs and the pirates though. Look, you can say that it's not a, a good thing to give a rebuilding team an A for trading a bunch of their, their MLB talent, but, I mean, they get a haul for Castillo. They're, they they maximize Mally. They trade Brandon Drury. They get something out of Naquin. I mean, and even Tommy Pham to a certain extent, too. It's a lot of prospects they just brought back into a farm system that was already really good, and it's now looking like one of the best in baseball. Yeah, and, you know, it sounds weird to celebrate. It just feels strange, like celebrate talent leaving, you know. But what I wanted to focus on was just comparing them to other returns. Castillo can be compared to Montas. I think a lot of people had them in the same tier. Castillo brings back a top 20 prospect. 
and Edwin Arroyo as well, who's a young, young guy already entering the top of the top 100 prospect, or excuse me, the bottom of the top 100 prospect list. Levi Stout, 24 years old, can play sooner than later, um, and a 22-year-old arm as well. Okay, what did Montas bring back? One guy near the back of the top 100, and a couple of 25, 26, 24-year-olds who are kind of like make-or-break, mid-tier prospects at this point. Um, it's not even comparable. So I think the Reds did great on that return. Now Tyler Malley returned. Spencer Steer, a guy who's now in AAA, could easily be up this season by the end of the year too. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he's up in a couple weeks. So you get an infielder that can help you now is young under tons of team control. Christian Encarnacion Strand, who has had a 1,100 OPS in college and has had like a 993 OPS in the minors, just a guy who's soaring up list. Um, so you get the power bat, potential first base re- replacement for Joey Votto in a couple of years. And you get an, an interesting lefty arm that's six foot five with good movement on his ball. I, I, I was kind of, I wouldn't say underwhelmed with that return. I was expecting more like prospect flash, like maybe one higher end guy and then two lower end guys. They kind of went with like, High floor prospect, and then two interesting prospects that were probably a little bit higher. So the return was a bit different. Brandon Jury, you bring back your typical like 18-year-old lottery ticket that some scouts are high on. He's 18 years old. I have no idea what that really turns out to be. Um, You being the Mets fan, Tyler Naquin, man, I mean, getting anything for him was a surprise. I thought he would be what... Tommy Pham ended up being, which is just player to be named, cash, whatever, get him off the roster, you know, type of a deal. Um, him and Philip Deal bring back two lottery ticket prospects as well. And the thing about Tommy Pham that I guess doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things is he has a mutual option with a buyout that now the Reds avoid. Um, it wasn't a lot of money, but like regardless, it's like Tommy Pham is not doing anything for the Reds. They move him off. You get something in return. It's either a player to be named or cash. You don't have to pay the buyout, and you don't have to pay the remaining. He was on a $7 million year um, deal this year, so you don't have to pay the rest of that. Um, I know it's like, who cares about the billionaire's money? But, you know, I'm just saying it, it factors in. So um, I know that's long-winded, but that's what happens when you bring back 10 prospects at a deadline. The reason why I thought it was so good was simply, like I said, comparing them to other returns across the league. And kind of how they have different types of players. They brought in pitchers. They brought in a lot of shortstops, three shortstops, which you can tell they're focusing on the most athletic position to move them around. Uh, but but you can see the vision now. And yeah. the best thing about it was they didn't hold on. Oh, we couldn't get jury deal done. Oh, we couldn't move fame. Like they said, screw it. We're going to move everybody. And they got good returns. I, I feel like some teams probably had similar returns for similar players and decided to hold on to them. Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously, like, we were projecting that Drew would probably net you a little bit more than they got. But get something. Get something. There's so many teams that, that you know, we're, we're holding out onto these players. And, and I get it. Maybe if you're a GM, you want people to know that when you set an asking price, if they mm-hmm. don't meet your asking price, you're not going to move the player. But guess what? If Victor Acosta suddenly ends up being the next Fernando Tatis in three years, which is, I mean, who actually knows if that will ever happen, but you know what I'm saying? He was traded for James Shields. Like these guys somehow sometimes can actually pop 
and you might as well take as many cracks at it. Like if someone has a lottery ticket and they're just trying to hand it to you, are you just going to say, you know what? Those things never pan out nine times out of 10 or 99 times out of a hundred that you're never going to get anything back. So I don't need it. No, take the lottery ticket, scratch it, see what happens. Do you know what happens when you don't do that? 100% of the time, the player just leaves. Exactly. Brandon Jury's not re-signing in Cincinnati. And my whole thing, and this is just a quick tangent, I promise. Fans often say, we need to re-sign this guy. We need to sign this guy before arbitration. How about this? You know, think about the player. Think about his agent. They don't always want to re-sign. I think yeah. Michael Lorenzen didn't want to come back to Cincinnati. I think they said, no, I'm good. Like, players are not always in love with where they are or want to be their long-term or sign team-friendly deals. They have agents who take care of all this stuff. Maybe Brandon Jury said, I want to cash in on a four-year deal somewhere at $6 million a year. Cincinnati would not do that. And so try Now he's, he's in San Diego, and considering where they're at with, with their budget and everything, that's the type of guy that maybe does get signed there long-term mm-hmm. and, and on a reasonable contract, but still one that's that's greater than what – a rebuilding team wants to give them. So I think that the the Reds, if I look at all 30 teams in baseball, I look at the sellers that were out there, I think they were the best seller at this deadline. That's why they deserve that A grade. Comes to another seller, the Cubs. I almost think you're generous here, giving them a C plus, um, just because I don't know how they go through everything pre-deadline. Contreras is crying in front of reporters and all of that. And you hang on to the guy like like you're telling me they really didn't get anything offered to them that was more valuable than a comp pick. That to me. So, again, what is the team's direction? This is the most bizarre direction in the world. No one knows. Just like last winter. What the hell are the Cubs doing? Deadline. What the hell are the Cubs doing? So to me, I was wondering, you know, Sean Murphy wasn't moved either. And I thought Sean Murphy would be moved. I'm starting to wonder, like, Christian Vasquez was moved, and there just wasn't a lot of catcher markets, especially the top-tier ones. And I don't know why. I figured both of those players would automatically be moved. Now, Murphy's probably moved in the offseason. He has plenty of control. If the Cubs really felt like a comp pick is more valuable than whatever they could get, then good for them, I guess. You know, I we don't know that answer. If they want to re-sign him long-term, I mean, go for it, I guess. They signed Marcus Stroman long-term, which I'm sure you have feelings about that. But um, the reason why I gave it a C-plus was simply because they did one thing that I think all bat teams should do, and that's trade off your vet relievers that are doing well. They traded four, four of them. Michael Givens, um, Scott Efros. Oh, gosh, I'm going to off the top of my head. Chris Martin and David Robertson. And they David got Robertson back, and Chris Martin. They got Hayden Wisniewski, Sal Gonzalez, Ben Brown, and Zach McKinstry. And the reason why I walked through that is they need pitching depth so badly. And they got two pitchers now that slot into their top three or four pitchers in their organization. So, okay, you turned guys who are not going to be on your team last next year, except for Scott, Scott Efros, into legitimate starter prospects. Like, I think that's good. Ian Happ, I wrote an article about it. It's linked in there. Okay, 27 years old, still has some control if, if you want to go on with that. But it just seems like the Cubs are going to try this half-ass rebuild slash continuing to win. Patrick Wisdom, Frank Schwindel, Rafael Ortega. Why are these 30-year-olds on this team? I don't I know if it has know. to do with, with the owners, 
owning the marquee network or whatever that they have the games on and they're just really worried about that tanking or what. But the Cubs' direction is super bizarre, and the only thing that they did well was trade the relief pitchers. I actually can tell you exactly why they're hanging on to Ortega, Wisdom, and Schwindel. Because I was just in Chicago at Wrigley Field, and in between innings, they have this great little graphic they like to show you of a roadmap of where these guys have been before they came to the Cubs and all the different minor league stops and in different places before they unearth this great talent that's in the middle of their lineup. So because of the in-game vibes at Wrigley Field, they're hanging on to these guys. That, that, that must be what it is. Ryan, if you came into work and it's the third inning and you look up at the screen and you just are reminded of all the teams that gave up on you, how would that make you feel, man? That's such a weird thing. Like I'll tell you, I was there once and they cut me, man. I love seeing that. Like it's It's so bizarre. I I was there for three games and they did it every single every single game. Schwindel has to look back and be like, Yeah, I sucked on four different teams before I got it. There's me with the A's for eight games and that was fun like exactly what a strange thing it's so chicago weird. i assume this winter they were going to try something similar that they did last winter the one thing about it that i thought of is their farm system is climbing fast they have a lot of players Pete crow armstrong who are playing really well and i think better than they projected and maybe they are thinking oh whoa 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 we might have reinforcements sooner than later and at a higher caliber than we thought maybe i'm giving them the benefit of the doubt there i don't know maybe i i think that look like you said we give them a c plus they traded four relievers they got pretty good returns on them uh but i think they could have been a a b plus a minus type team had they capitalized on some of the other players that they could have dealt here leads us to the pirates which is the most surprising grade that i read here i was like what did they do again and then obviously mets guy traded vogel back but that felt like a month ago at this point and they got colin holderman which i can talk about first before we get into it holderman's a really nice pitcher like for the mets it made sense to make this deal and they're like eight and one with vogel back and he's been exactly what they needed but holderman looked really really good this year big guy you know has a lot of velo really good movement on his pitches uh, you know, we'll see what he actually does. It's a 17 inning sample size where he had the one nine three ERA, but he's now in their bullpen. And that makes a lot of sense for a guy that you picked up on a minor league deal. And it seems like they got kind of a similar return here for Quintana as well. So I'll let you kind of take it from there, but uh, a B grade for a team that sold a couple of pieces and got some value. Yeah. And I gave it a B, which I'm sure a lot of people will be surprised at, but um, I actually forgot to put Vo- Vogelbach in there first two when i was originally typing it because it feels like it was so long ago it's been like one week it just it shows you what we've been through in the past week i guess but um so the reason why i like the return they bring back two young controllable 24 and 26 year old relief pitchers when you're a, a small market team like pittsburgh the last place you want to spend money is in the bullpen but we all know how important it is to have effective bullpen pieces Okay, so you trade Daniel Vogelbach, who, I mean, not a long-term fit in Pittsburgh, right? Everyone knew he would be traded. And you trade Jose Quintana, a one-year deal, like 33, 34-year-old, like, pitched much better than everyone thought he would. Okay, thanks. Those are the things that they buy. They're more or less paying a few million dollars to get prospects at the deadline. That's Everyone knew that they would be traded. So you bring back two relief pitchers, 
that can help you for several years are in line, you know, kind, kind of age-wise. They're not 32 years old. They're not Joe Mantiply who has control but is old. And so now, now you have two extremely cheap bullpen pieces to help your cheap owner. But on top of that, you bring back Malcolm Nunez, who's a 21, I believe 21 or 22-year-old in A, has 17 home runs this year. And um, a player that I'd kind of just caught a hold of on Twitter and started following and watching him, and he has some serious pop. And he may be – he's more than a throw-in. I don't want anyone to think he's just a throw-in. Um, maybe that's your first baseman of the future. Or maybe, he, you know, he factors in somehow in the outfield or DH or whatever. But I, when I saw that return initially, I was like, wow. Like, I know Jose Quintana is like somebody who everyone wants right now, but I like that return a lot. So the Pirates, not flashy, not a lot of moves, but I think the moves made sense. Just keep in mind, the only other people that could trade are like Ben Gamble, right? Yeah. Kevin Newman. Like, there's no market for those people. Um, they're in that weird transition where it's like our rookies are up now. We have young starting pitching. They're not exactly good, but we're not trading them. Like they didn't really have much to trade. So they got what they got. And I like the returns. Yeah. I mean, the bottom line is that the only thing they could have done is they could have kind of hit the nuclear button and traded Bednar and Reynolds. And maybe they think with the O'Neill Cruz is playing so far and some of the other prospects in the pipeline that maybe they can contend for a wild card next year. And it's worth it to try to build around those guys and deal them. And, there's nothing wrong with that. That's definitely a, a solid direction to take. It's not an aimless one like some of the other teams that we saw. Yeah, and with them, it's you have to sell the fans something. Yeah, You cannot lose a fan base. And if you are trading Brian Reynolds, when you have Key Brian, um, Brian Hayes, O'Neill Cruz, all these prospects you've been amping up for two or three years, Brian Reynolds is like 26 years old. Like You can build around that guy. Brian Hayes is younger than him. Like you have young pieces. You have to make sure you don't lose the fans. Cause any fan will say like, you know, these guys are not even 27 years old and you're trading them already when they're still cheap. Like this is just a cycle, a never ending cycle. You have to at least have something there. That's kind of what the Joey Votto thing was at times in Cincinnati. Right. Yeah, for sure. You definitely got to keep a couple of pieces around and, uh, I'll tell you, that is a ballpark. Like, if we're going to talk about places to go, PNC Park. Yeah. Better than Wrigley, by the way. Just telling you right now. I know the history and all that. Food's better. View's better. Um, But also, the, the fans show up at both of those ballparks. And yeah. so you have to leave something around for these fan bases. And uh, I, I think I like what the, what the Pirates did a lot more than the Cubs. So that was our deadline grades for the NL Central Make sure you're tuning in to State of the Division throughout the rest of the season. A lot of good stuff ahead. We got the playoff races now. Uh, so Brewers-Cardinals for NL Central. It's going to be an interesting ride, I'll tell you that. These are two teams that should be going head-to-head all the way down the stretch here. Yeah, and I don't know if I have a prediction or not. I would say Cardinals. What What do you say? Yeah, I. you know what's funny? I, I've been talking... I think they both get in. I, I like both of them over the Phillies. That's what I would say. So okay. I don't know who wins the division, but I, I, I just maybe it's just a hedge against the Phillies from a Mets guy that has probably some bias attached, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That was this state of the division for the NL Central.